0: has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us our peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Even though we have all failed to pursue the rest and the peace that are ours in Jesus Christ, they are ours because he was pierced for us. His wounds are what heal us. And so we do not acknowledge and confess our sin as a means of reminding ourselves what terrible people we are but rather to remind ourselves of how great and how good our God is, that even when we fall short, he has done it all on our behalf. So let's pray to thank the Lord for that as we prepare then for Ryan to come up and speak. Oh Lord, um, you are good beyond our imagination. Lord, we thank you that your peace that you bring us is not dependent upon how good we are at clinging to it. Um, but rather, Lord, the fact that you cling to us. Help us, Lord, to live within the peace that you have given to us. Help us to trust that your rest is indeed good enough. As we search your face, Lord, show it to us. And as now, as Ryan prepares to, to preach your word to us, to once again show us the goodness of the peace that you have brought to give to us, open our hearts, open our minds, Help us to release the things that we are desperately clinging to that do not bring us peace, so that with open hands and open hearts, we may cling to you who um, is our peace. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, Nathan. <clears throat> so yeah, guys, we've been in a series that we've called Rest, uh, and it's really been shaped around this idea uh, that the Lord uh, desires something very Wonderful for us, even this side of heaven, to enter into the rest that he's already secured for us. And so we're in th- week three of this. Th- the first week, uh, Pastor Bob Cargo from over at Perimeter Church preached, and he talked about God's design for rest and how the Lord has designed for us to enter into his, in, in, enter into his rest by entering into a weekly Sabbath rhythm. But then last week, we kind of looked at this strange phenomenon. that that while there is a promise of rest and while we, you know, are designed for it, that we resist it. And because we resist the rest of God, it feels like resistance when we enter in and rest and, and feel the relief that the Lord desires to give us. And this week, we're going to talk about the arrival of rest. Like, how can we be confident that God has secured rest for us and that we're going to enter into it? If you think about your own life, uh, I want you to think about moments that have shaped your confidence, all right? I was just thinking about this, and I could only think about negative moments. I don't know about you, uh, <clears throat> but one of those was my senior year of high school. I was on the baseball team, and for some reason, I always choose these kind of pressure cooker environments like preaching or pitching in baseball, right? And so I would had a pretty good year pitching senior night. They schedule a the team, you know, you're definitely supposed to win this game, right? So I get out there, and I'm just off. It is bad, and I'm pitching, and it's, you know, we're, we're all out there, and, and and like in the third inning, I, I throw a hanging curveball out there, and the guy just hits it into the neighborhood behind the, behind the, the field, and if that wasn't bad enough, um, they were actually taping the game this night, so I have a DVD somewhere this game, but it gets worse, So the guy is running around the bases, and I start hearing all the guys come out of the dugout, and they're like, oh, rippity-rip, ropeity-rope, rippity-rip, ropeity-rope, and they just start chanting and chanting and chanting. And so for the rest of the season, guess what my team said to me every time I got on the mound? Rippity-rip, ropeity-rope, rippity-rip, right? And so it was in my head, and my confidence was just shaking. I had a pretty bad end of my senior year. I don't know about you, but what are the moments that have shaped your confidence for the Apostle Paul, uh, we can see a trajectory of how his confidence was shaped. Uh, at the beginning of his ministry, the Apostle Paul, uh, he, he spoke about himself like this, I'm the least of the apostles, right? He's like, I'm the 13th man, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good dude. You can count on me. I'm reliable. Toward the end of his ministry, he, he uh, self-designated himself as the chief of sinners. Listen to a little bit about how Paul thought about himself and the trajectory of confidence in his own life. 1 Corinthians 3 says this, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may actually become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. So where's Paul's confidence at this point in his life? As he's growing up in Jesus, he is less and less confident in himself. Isn't that interesting? That his, his uh, independence and desire to be confident in and of himself is, is lessening in his life and his dependence and confidence in the Lord is growing and swelling. Do you lack confidence in your standing with God this morning? You know, confidence that's internal and not received by faith isn't lasting confidence so as you think about your own life, I just wonder if your confidence kind of seems like a moving target. Like some days you wake up and you're like, I'm confident the Lord loves me. I'm confident that I can live out of his grace today. And other mornings you wake up and you're like, I don't even know if I know God. I feel like that's part of the human experience. And I think it's because so much of our life is aimed at confidence in the wrong things. If we're going to receive the rest that God has for us, we're going to have to admit that we desperately need God to help us because our self-confidence actually drives us from rest, right? This world that we're swirling around in says, be confident in yourself, prove yourself, show all the ways that you are the man or woman, right? But the Lord says that as you grow in him, you actually become more confident in him and less confident in and of yourself. Find it interesting as we look at Hebrews 3 and 4, that word confidence is in there a lot. And it can be translated as trust. And what we said was this: if you want more rest, it requires more trust, right? And so we're going to continue that theme today. And here's our here's our big idea. For rest, for God's rest to become our rest, we need God's help. If you're a note taker, um, here's here's kind of the outline of where we're going today. So how does rest come to us? Is the the question I'm trying to answer for us today? Rest comes from rescue. Rest comes from resonance. And rest comes from representation. So that's where we're going. If you got a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at three verses in, in chapter 4, uh, 14 through 16. So l- let's dig in together. Rest comes from rescue. And what I mean by that is that we are all in desperate need of the rescue that only Jesus can bring to us. So the writer of Hebrews lays out the foundation of our growing confidence uh, in entering the rest of God by saying this. Hebrews 4.14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So God's word says um, that we can be confident that rest is possible for us, not just in eternity with with our Lord, but today, because we have this great high priest. Now, To understand what Jesus has done for us, we have to understand our unique human predicament and the growing narrative throughout the history of the world and God's provision of it, right? Our greatest need in the world is what? Our greatest need in the world is to get to God. That's our absolute greatest need. It always has been and it always will be until we're with God forever. Now, maybe that doesn't seem like your biggest problem today. Maybe maybe your mortgage seems like your biggest problem, right? Maybe, maybe your marriage seems like your bi- biggest problem or your children or your desire to get married or whatever that would be. I don't know what it is that seems like your biggest problem today, but it's just an echo. It's just a shadow of the greatest problem that every person on the face of the planet has, which is our need to get back to God. <clears throat> and those, you know, all those burdens are huge to carry and Jesus has carried those for us, but our weightiest problem is getting to God. Here's what 1 Peter chapter 3 says. Peter Peter writes this, he says for Christ suffered once for all for sins, the righteous and the unrighteous, that he might do what? Bring us to God. Bring us to God. This is like this is like, such a crucial passage. Our greatest need is to be brought to God. And being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. So why do we celebrate Jesus' birth? Why do we celebrate Advent? Because Jesus was God's greatest answer to our problem of needing to get to God. Before Jesus was born on this earth, God had already began laying out the problem and answering it. Before Jesus came on the scene, the assigned person in Israel's history to bring God's people back to God was who? The high priest, right? The high priest. In Jewish culture. So according to Hebrews 5, the high priest was the appointed individual who was to represent individuals before God. So he would offer sacrifices of the forgiveness of sin that they would make it possible for others to get to God. Hebrews 5 goes on to say this. I'll, I'll read it for you real quick here. Hebrews 5, 1 through 4. Because he's, he's kind of commentating and explaining on what does it mean that Jesus is our great high priest? Like what is significant about that when it comes to our rest? Hebrews 5.1 says this, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on the behalf of men in relation to God and to offer sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. In other words, that dude is just a dude like me and you, right? He's beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins as he does For the other people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was, the first high priest that we had. So, as we've said, our sins have created this chasm, right? We are separated. We need to get back to God. And it's a spiritual, it's a moral, it's a physical chasm between us and God. And no amount of self help, life coaching, or resources can bend our conscience enough to actually make us confident that we're being brought back to God. We must be rescued. We can't rescue ourselves. Everything in this world says rescue yourself. Show how you can save yourself. The Lord says you can't be rescued. Only people that need to be saved can be saved, right? So so we can't have relief from the tormenting effects of this separation without being rescued by Jesus. Now the frame that the writer of Hebrews is is painting this through is how Jesus is better than all of the Old Testament ways of getting back to God. Right? All of the Old Testament ways were building this story to the one who would actually be able to bring us back to God. Right? And so you, you, when you read the book of Hebrews, it's like, it starts out like, "Hey, Jesus is better than angels." Right? Then, "Oh, Jesus is better than Moses," and then now, "Jesus is better than Aaron, the great high priest." Well, how is he better? Look, in order to understand that, we have to understand what a high priest actually is. It's a pretty foreign concept for us today. The high priest was the chief servant of the people of God in regards to absolving sin, removing sin, representing us. The high priest, or in Latin, the pontifex maximus, what a great word, right? Pontifex, what does that mean? Maximus means what? Great, right? That's pretty easy, right? What does pontifex mean? Anybody know what that one is? Yeah, you can try. It's all right. I'll tell you. Um, So it's made up of two words, "pons," meaning bridge, and fatio, meaning to build, right? So what we have in Jesus as the great high priest is the great bridge builder. Isn't that interesting? Because our greatest need is to what? Get back to God. Jesus' greatest purpose is to bring us back to God because he's the great bridge builder. So here's the way it would work. In, In the temple, there were three courts. There was the outer court, uh, you you know, the court of the Gentiles, uh, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. Now, the holy of holies was the place that the Ark of the Covenant resided with the Ten Commandments and, you know, the, the staff of Moses and all that kind of good stuff. Um, and it was the place that God's presence dwelled with His people. And so, the way it would work is the the high priest would enter in once a year into the Holy of Holies, and he would make sacrifice and 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 he would make and he would represent God's people in the Holy of Holies. Uh, it was it's you can read about it in Leviticus 16. It's called uh, you know the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, um, where where the high priest would enter in and represent the people. Now. The the priest had to make provision for his own sin before he went before the presence of God or he wouldn't live, right? And in order just to secure this, what they would do is they would tie bells on the the fringe of his his garment and then actually a rope around his leg so they could pull him out in case things went south, right? (laughs) Because the presence of God is that real and holy. And so he would represent God's people when he would go into the holy of holies. But guess what? Because each of these high priests that represent us, that that are bridging our gap to need to get back to God, were of the tribe of Levi and the line of Aaron. They would eventually die uh, because they were sinful people and they would need to appoint a new high priest. Now, the sacrificial system was but a shadow of what Jesus would become for us, friends. An earthly high priest would never sit down because his work was never finished. Jesus is the better Aaron, because the Bible says Jesus finished his work as a high priest, Hebrews chapter one, verse three, and he did what? He sat down, because it's finished. He passed through the heavens in the incarnation and became a child to be born of the Virgin Mary, and then he passed back through the heavens in his ascension to sit, not stand at the right hand of the Father and be a bridge for us, friends. It's amazing news. But we, what, so what is our role? We have to trust that Christ is actually the great bridge builder of our lives. And in order to do that, we have to actually believe that we need to be rescued. I was meeting uh, with a friend of mine, Ronik Patel, years ago, an Indian man. Uh, he was a de, He's a devout Hindu. And he was, um, you know, one of the, this is just an aside, one of the things that I like to do when I encounter people of different faith systems uh, is I just like to ask them to tell me what they believe, um, and I think sometimes we can be afraid of that. We're like, oh, I don't want to be around like false teaching or whatever. I, I'm I'm pretty sure in what I believe, but I want to know what they believe, and I want to know that they know what they believe, right? Because I want to share the gospel with them. And so I was doing this with Ronik, and he was a, a very devout Hindu, uh, and uh, and and actually knew all about Hinduism, and he and he he started teaching me about it, and, and he was teaching me about the process of karma and reincarnation. Um, and, and his worldview uh, as a Hindu says this: you just keep getting reincarnated until you reach Moksha, which is the end of the cycle of rebirth. So, in other words, you, you know, you're kind of in this a perpetual cycle of trying to get better, trying to prove yourself, so that you can kind of you can kind of reach reach the end of that, right? <clears throat> and I told Ronick, you know, the amazing thing about Christianity and following Jesus is that all of that karma that I deserve was aimed at Jesus on the cross. Every single bit of the karma that I deserve. And now I have this faithful high priest who has released me from the cycle of sin and its consequences. And as we sat across from one another, he couldn't quite comprehend what grace actually was. Because friends, grace is that bewildering. We are secure in grace because we have a great high priest. You know, I hear a lot of Christians actually joke and talk about karma as well, but I fear that it's more real uh, than grace for many of us. That idea of karma which says this, you get what you deserve, right? Grace is the opposite of that. It says you don't get what you do deserve, right? And so I, I just feel like we live like there's this kind of perpetual cycle that we're in where we're getting what we deserve But to believe that God gives us what we deserve is to live like Jesus never rose from the dead. And that he's not right now, at this very moment, representing myself and you and every other believer on the face of the planet before our Father in heaven with great delight. Friends, what you most desperately need this morning cannot be found within. A drowning person cannot save themselves. Our rescue had to come from heaven for you. That's why we celebrate Advent, right? And it had to be tested on earth, and it had to endure death, and it has, had to pass back through the heavens to be with the Father again. We need a great bridge builder, a great high priest who is at rest in heaven that represents us. So that arrival of rest comes from the outside in, not from the inside out, because we've been rescued by grace. So not only do we need to be rest comes from rescue, but rest comes from resonance. What do I mean by that? Well, we have an ever-present Savior in our never-ending weakness. It's like this perfect marriage, right? Like I am, I, my weakness is endless, and so is yours. And we have this present this this Savior that's so present with us as a great High Priest who never dies, who who who, who seat, who's seated at the right hand of the Father. So. You know, as we think back about my friend Roenick and every other uh, every other system of belief, every other re- world religion, why is Christianity of more value than any other world religion? Because it's the only one that doesn't say, here's an instruction manual on how to get back to God, right? You think about it like an Ikea piece of furniture, right? You get that thing home. It's, it looks great in the showroom, doesn't it? It looks awesome. You're like, ah, it's pretty sturdy, pretty cheap. I'm going to grab that. I'm going to come back home. Then you go back down and you get that cart. And you hear all those pieces clanking around in there. You get home and you open that thing up and you are just overwhelmed, right? Christianity is the only one that puts it together for you, that does the work for you. Hebrews 4.15 says this. How? how? How is it finished? Hebrews 4.15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. Well, we have a different kind of high priest, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So how is he present with us as a high priest? Because we need him to intercede for us forever, right? We need him to be ever present in our never-ending weakness. So how is he with us? How is he a great high priest? On one hand, he's able to show sympathy from his experience. He is really, really with us. On the other hand, He's without sin. He hasn't been compromised and can therefore really, really, really bring us to God. <clears throat> and here's what I mean by that. Hebrews chapter 2 says this. Remember, Hebrews is all about telling us the story about how Jesus is better. He says this in Hebrews two seventeen. Therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect. That's you and I, brothers and sisters. So that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people to actually bring us to God. For he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. So because we are so beset with weakness and sin and we are so far from God on our own, we need someone to bring us back to God in every single way. There's not one way that you can help God out in this rescue plan, right? Think about that. There's not one way he has to do everything. So it's not just in this rational and cognitive way that, oh yeah, I know I'm out of the courtroom, but it's in an understanding and merciful way. It's in an emphatic way. It's in a feelings-driven way that he can resonate with us. We're in so so much need of a high priest who can be ever-present with us, friends. We can't go a moment on our own without losing our way. Just as a reminder, remind me here, what is the Bible's description of, of humanity? Sheep, right? You guys need me to show you that sheep video again? You remember that one? That was good, right? That's us. We can't go one moment without getting lost on our own. And in order to represent us fully, He had to fully enter into our story to be even tempted as you are tempted. It's not like Jesus says, hey, I'm going to bring you to God, but I'm not going to be with you in the temptation. No, no, no. The whole thing about the faithful high priest is he's with you in it right now, no matter what that is for you. It is, you you know, think about it like this. You know, you think, oh, there's no way God's been tempted like me. There's no way Jesus was sexually tempted, right? No, that can't be true, right? We want to sanitize Jesus. There's no way that he was ever tempted to steal, right? No way Jesus would go that low. And so when we believe that he wasn't tempted like us, what we're, what we're saying is he can't rescue us like we need to be rescued. So we're kind of leaving this place to rescue ourselves where Jesus seems to be uh, you know, untouchable in that area of our lives. But the scriptures say quite the contrary, don't they? Jesus is able to represent us in every way because he was made exactly like us. You know, there's this idea in the physics of music called sympathetic resonance. It's where you can have two instruments that vibrate in the same frequency and thus produce the same sound. So if you think about it like this, um, you, you know, it's, it's one key is played and it's tuned for the same uh, key of, 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 of resonance Uh, or frequency, that another key is that key plays a little bit too without even actively touching that. So let's say you hit middle C on the piano. I don't play piano, by the way. Uh, I play guitar, but, you know, whatever. You you know, you hit middle C on the piano, on a grand piano, right? Uh, And the hammer strikes the string and the music sounds. But it's not just that note that you're striking that you hear. There are, you you know, you think about what makes a grand piano such an amazing instrument? I mean, this thing can never fully emulate what a grand piano is, an acoustic grand piano, because of the idea of sympathetic resonance, right? Because in a a grand piano, there are seven octaves of eight keys, 88 keys total, right? And and in that piano, whenever a a note with the same frequency in each of those octaves is struck, the other notes resound as well. And, And here's what this means for us spiritually. Jesus was tuned just like us Same frequency as you were tuned. He had to become a man. He's a middle C just like me and you, or whatever it is, right? He had to be born in the flesh. He had to be tempted as you and I are tempted. If not, how could he resonate with us? How could he represent us if he's not tuned like we are? We're actually made in his image, right? It's the other way around. But Jesus was struck in all the ways that you have been struck in this life but he's not here anymore, he's with the Father, and so he sent the Spirit to resound his presence in our lives. Here's what John chapter 14 says about this. These things that I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, right? He's resonating with us because he's with us in it. But there's gonna be a day that he's gonna go back to the Father to fully represent us before the Father. And so he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He's gonna teach you, he's gonna resonate with you all of the things and bring to remember it's all that I've said to you. And so what is the Holy Spirit actively doing in our lives right now? Resonating the heart of Jesus for us. He's representing us. We have proximity to Jesus through the Holy Spirit and we have access to the Father because he's seated at his right hand, friends. He represents us. He resonates with us. The Holy Spirit is the resonance of temptation and help that Jesus extends to us through his resurrection. Now, here's what this means when we come to him. When we come to him in our pain and in our struggle, something within him is actually resonating as he represents us. As I I think about each of your lives and many of your stories that I know, and the unique, peculiar temptations and struggles that you have, I I think sometimes we come to him and we just think he can't really relate, but I got to go to him. Friends, he relates with you in every single way. When your heart is broken over your sin, his heart is resounding with your heart as he represents you to your Father in heaven. Do you come to him that way? Do you come to him as a Father? as a Savior who's really resonating with you, who's in it with you, who's feeling it with you because that's why he is a great high priest and he lives to ever represent us until he brings us back home to our Father in heaven. But not only does he rescue us, not only does he resonate with us, but he also represents us. And we have this growing confidence in our need of grace because he represents us. So here's God's desire that it would give that 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 this idea of Jesus being our great high priest would give us a growing confidence to pursue the Lord with everything inside of us with such confidence because we have full access to him. Hebrews 4:16 says this. Because of these truths that we just talked about, let us then with confidence, right? Not rippity rope confidence, but confidence, right? Confidence to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God's holiness, especially when you look at it in the Old Testament, is super scary, even in the book of Revelation for unbelievers. His holiness is scary, right? I mean, do you remember Uzzah? Not, not, to be confused with Uga, Uga friends. You all remember Uzza in the Bible? He was this, he was this guy. Second Samuel six. Israelites are in the wilderness. they 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 have the Ark of the Covenant. They're carrying around. They get a little unstable over something. Uzza reaches out to grab it. He's just trying to do a good deed, right? Dies on the spot, right? Because of the holiness of God. One of those things I want to ask Jesus when I get to heaven about. He was just trying to help, Lord. But because of this access that Jesus opens up for us, we get to walk straight into the Holy of Holies, friends. Do you pray that way? Do you pray, like you get to walk straight into the Holy of Holies because it's, it's, his holiness is no longer something to be feared, but his holiness is a welcoming invite because we have a great high priest. Instead of being afraid of his presence because of his mercy and grace, we confidently approach him. Friend, you are invited to bust open the door to the Holy of Holies through your prayer every hour of every day because of this access. I love what Isaiah 62 says. Isaiah 62 says this, you should approach the Lord. He says, says, give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. What would it look like because you have such confidence in what God has done for you and you have access to this throne of grace in your time of need to bother God in prayer, to give him no rest because you are, you are just taking advantage of that access that you have, right? I don't know about you, but I don't pray like that. I don't pray like I've got that much access and therefore that much confidence that I can bust in to the Holy of Holies through prayer. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through today. It's not like, you know, oh, maybe he kind of knows. He knows exactly how to help us right now. And right now, in the middle of the, the temptation that you're in, not after you get through it, but right now in the middle of it, he invites you to draw near. Most of the time, when we're tempted, what do we do? We run from God. What would it look like because of the confidence that you have because you have a great and faithful high priest to run to him instead of from him in your temptation? That's the access that you have. That's the invitation that we have. I think a lot of times we try to clean ourselves up and sanitize ourselves before we come to him in prayer. He says right in the middle of it, draw near because he's a faithful high priest. The throne room of God is now a place of comfort and welcome, not a place of terror. We do not have to fear being misrepresented by a high priest who doesn't really get us. We don't have to trust our soul to some sinful priest, but rather we walk straight into the holy of holies through prayer because Jesus is a friend of sinners. That's the access we have, friends. And friends, the more we approach him and find help in our time of need, the more that we trust him with the things we're actually going through instead of the things we think we should be going through, guess what happens? The more rest we have for our souls in this weary world. The more rest we have, because more trust equals more rest. Now, because of who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf, here is what is true of now all followers of Jesus. Because we have this great high priest, 1 Peter 2 says this, now you're a chosen race, you are, are a royal priesthood. Wait, Jesus. I'm a part of the royal priesthood? Yeah, you're a part of the royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, right? You needed to get to God and you couldn't. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, because you didn't have a faithful high priest, but now you have received mercy. Here's the beauty of what comes from this is, is this, is that we no longer have to hide our weaknesses because they do not disqualify us from the presence of God. In fact, concealing weakness, concealing sin is the only thing that can keep you from his presence, right? So we have this invitation, this full access, and the one thing that we have in common with every person on the face of the planet, every other Christian is this, is that we were once a people of darkness and now we are a people of light. And that changes everything for our story, friends. The arrival of rest is here because we have a faithful high priest who's rescued us, who resonates deeply with you and seeks to represent you before your father in heaven. Let's pray about that now. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, my heart is is touched as I think about how you represent us because, God, I just think about my own story and about the times uh, that I've hidden parts of my own heart and life and struggle from you because I didn't trust you as a faithful high priest. I didn't trust Jesus for that. God, I pray that for my friends in this room today that you would expand our ability to trust you with our lives. God, that we would see that you were, you were tempted and struck in every way that we've been struck, even the ways that we don't wanna talk about. And because of that, you not only represent us legally before our Father in heaven, but you resonate with us, Lord, as a sympathetic, as an empathetic, able to feel with us, high priest, And so God, will your heart comfort us today as we think about how you represent us, Lord? And Father, would you give us confidence to draw near to the throne of grace in our time of need? And we ask for that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God, together proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.